Chapter Twenty Two of the Adventures of Diggledy Dan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Adventures of Diggledy Dan by Edwin P. Norwood. Chapter Twenty Two, in which Dan meets Beater of the Jumping Dragoons. Just at the moment when the white white horse left the forest's edge to carry the pretty lady and little black bear back to Spangleland. Diggledy Dan might have been seen flitting in and out between the big and little tents, on his way to the one which contained the monkeys and lions and tigers and things. Indeed, the funny old clown in the polka-dot suit skipped along even faster than usual, for he knew that this was the evening that was to bring forth a wonderful story. As for the animals, they knew this too. And so, no sooner than Dan's face appeared through the rift in the wall at the far end of the tent, than there arose a cry that threatened to waken all the people of the circus, soundly though they slept. But they slept on while, as Mrs. Shag would have put it, Dan and Monkey released the impatient ones in three whisks and a wee. To the center they trooped, coming from this cage or that, or out the corrals, leaping and laughing with glee, and just as Lion had brought them to order, in galloped the white-white horse bearing his two precious passengers. "'Home again!' cried the welcoming crew. "'Home again!' echoed Little Black Bear, while all rose to their feet to pay homage to the one with the dancing blue eyes. Dan assisted her to alight while Elephant's trunk lifted Little Black Bear to a place on the ground." "'Now then,' said Lion, "'I know I speak the wish of every one of you "'when I say that all are most eager "'to hear of Little Bear's adventure in the great wide world. "'So if you, pretty lady, will accept a seat to my right "'and Little Black Bear take one at my left, "'I'm sure we'll prove a most attentive audience.' "'I'm most agreeable,' the lady replied. "'And I'm just bursting to talk,' declared Little Bear, "'only I simply can't sit down to do it. "'I just have to stand up.' "'Suit yourself as to that,' laughed Lion. "'Only do begin and don't leave one thing untold.' So little Black Bear, with no end of gestures and no end of wigglings of his wiggly nose, told the entire wondrous story from beginning to end. Then, when he had finished, there came whole dozens of questions, all of which he answered as best he knew how. "'That was an adventure,' Lion said finally. "'Such an adventure!' the others exclaimed. "'Let's draw straws again,' cried Monkey, "'to see who will be the next to go after his story.' "'But perhaps the pretty lady,' Lion began. "'Oh, I shall be very glad to carry another passenger away with me,' answered she." only I think it would be more fun if we this time made the selection by counting out. Counting out? questioned Lion. To be sure, she replied. First you must all form in a circle. You, little black bear, will stand here with me, for of course you've already had your adventure. Now, she continued when the great ring had been made, we will begin. And she started round the circle, repeating the words which you shall hear when touching an animal with the tip of her whip with each word that spoke. Diggledy, 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 Dan. Stay in the circle, those who can. Whip touch nose or trunk or snout, the last one touched is counted out. Of course, that first time was just for practice, but now we will start in earnest, and the one who is touched by the whip when I speak the word out must at once step aside. Thus we will continue until but one remains, and that one will be the next to galloping away on the white white horse. So the counting began. Out went zebra, and out went seal, and so on from one to another, until at last there remained only tiger and dan. And now, that I may have no way of knowing which of you I shall touch when I speak the first word of the rhyme, I will ask Lion to place his paws tightly over my eyes, the pretty lady requested. Now, warned she when her eyes had been covered, are they ready, Lion? They are. Down dipped the whip, and the lady began touching first one and then the other, while all those who were out joined in the lines of the rhyme. And then, when it had brought them to the very last word, all fairly shouted a tremendous OUT! At the same moment, Lion dropped his paws from the pretty lady's eyes, and there was the tip of her whip resting on Tiger's left ear. "'Dan!' cried she, while all the animals began chanting. "'Oh, Dan, Dan, diggledy Dan, go find us a story as fast as you can.' "'Indeed he will,' promised the pretty lady, "'for I know exactly where to take him, only he may have to be absent over one twilight.' 
"'Well, not mine,' said Lion. "'No, not one bit,' cried the rest. "'Especially if he brings back an extra fine story,' added Camel. "'Let us start at once, then,' the pretty lady commanded, "'for we have a long way to go.' Off dashed the animals and were soon back in their homes. Dan locked the last door, and then, twirling about on one foot and waving a farewell in every direction, he danced down the tent and jumped to the back of the white, white horse. The pretty lady had already sprung to her seat. Dan once beside her, she touched the snow-white steed, and the journey into Twilight Land was begun. Onward and still onward they galloped. Soon darkness had come, but the white, white horse gave no sign of a halt. Now he went skimming up the side of a hill and then down the face of another. But at last, as the travelers reached the brow of an unusually steep slope, they came in sight of the big yellow moon just as it was on the point of rousing itself from the top of a more distant hill, and it was here the white-white horse stopped so suddenly that Dan was all but tossed from his seat. Catching his balance, the clown gazed over the pretty lady's shoulder. Before and beneath them, and to the right and to the left of them, stretched a bit of a valley that seemed fast asleep. Some of its sides were covered with cornfields, while others were checkered with patches of wheat. These crept downward to the very edge of a dark clump of raggedy trees that grew on the floor of the valley. In the midst of the trees, but standing much higher than the tallest of them, was a queerly shaped tower. Now it seemed to be thrusting its head into the moon's great round face. It resembled nothing so much as a huge grandfather's clock. But what could a clock be doing in so strange a place? Even as Dan pondered, the pretty lady motioned him to alight. "'You are to go into the valley,' she whispered, her face placed close to his very white ear. Two things you are to remember.' Be ever so careful as to just where you step, and, if you are asked why you have come, always answer, Dickory Doc. Dan would have liked more instructions, but, just as he opened his lips to question the lady, the white-white horse whirled about in his tracks and was gone in the direction whence they had come. "'Well, well,' said Dan to himself. "'I guess there is but one thing to do, and that is to go into the valley and see what I'll find there.' So he started off down the slope. Soon he entered a corn patch. As he neared the middle of it, he was joined by a breeze that rustled the long leaves until they fairly sang at its touch. It was a soft, murmuring tune, with a gay little quirk, and so filled with happiness that Dan soon found himself singing a song of his own. How long he might have sung there is no way of knowing, for he was still in the midst of the melody when he felt a sharp tugging at the great ruffled collar that circled his neck. Thinking the collar had caught upon something, he turned to see what it was. And there, holding to a cornstalk while he jerked at the edge of the rough, was a most indignant mouse. "'So I finally brought you to a halt,' squeaked the stranger. "'Didn't you hear me shouting at you when you entered the cornfield? You clumsy fellow!' You almost stepped on my sentry box. Dan thought he had never before seen quite such a mouse. Not that his face was unlike that of other mice, but because of the dress that he wore. This consisted of a jaunty cap with a plume in it, a red coat adorned with two rows of tiny brass buttons, and trousers that were braided with gold stripes down the sides. Around his waist ran a belt, and from this hung a sword. Now who are you and what do you want? demanded the mouse. Why, I'm Diggledy Dan, and I— That means nothing to me, interrupted the other, so I shall have to ask you to leave here at once. But— protested the clown. "'But nothing,' returned the mouse. "'Be gone, I say, or I shall summon the guard without more ado.' Then Dan suddenly remembered what the pretty lady had told him. "'Oh,' he hastened to say, "'I almost forgot.' And bending over, he whispered, "'Dickory Doc.' "'Well, now, that's different,' cried the mouse, in the friendliest tone imaginable. "'But why in the world didn't you just say that in the first place?' "'I'll confess I just didn't think,' answered Dan. "'The pretty lady told me to repeat the words to whomever I met. But you see, well—' "'I guess I hardly expected to—to—' "'To be challenged by a mere little mouse,' supplied the guard, "'as he sent forth a tiny but nonetheless merry laugh. "'And I was also told to watch where I stepped,' added Dan. "'I hope I didn't harm the sentry-box of which you spoke.' "'Not a speck. "'But tell me what you are and what we may have the honor of doing for you.' "'So Dan did. "'Huh,' mused the mouse. "'I'm sure I don't know whether we can supply any sort of a story, "'but I assure you we will be most happy to serve you in the animals of Spangle-land in any way possible.' "'As for myself, I will be delighted to escort you, for I think I hear the relief guard coming this way now.' 
Hi down there, he called as if speaking to someone at the foot of the corn stalks. That you, Skipper? All right, thought I knew your step. A quiet watch to you. I'm off to accompany a friend down the valley. Then, turning to Dan, he added, You walk right along, and I'll just hop from stalk to stalk until we get out of the corn patch. I'll go slowly, Dan assured him. Oh, as to that, you may run if you wish. You see, we of the Jumping Dragoons pride ourselves on our ability to go long distances in a very little time. Nevertheless, they proceeded leisurely, chatting as they descended. Beater, for such proved to be the name of Dan's escort, explained many things as they went, and was just on the point of answering Dan's question about the thing that looked so much like a grandfather's clock when they reached the floor of the valley. "'Here,' said the mouse, "'we enter the town proper.' "'And,' he added, making a very low bow, "'Beater takes pride in being the first to welcome you to the Valley of Tick-Tock.' "'What an odd name!' exclaimed Dan. "'Why do you call it that?' "'Listen a moment and you will hear,' replied Beater. So Dan hearkened, and out of the silence there came a slow and very measured and musical sound. It was as if an ocean were not far away or a brook had come to make its home near the trees. But unlike the boom of the surf or the song of a stream, this strange voice sang a much different tune. Indeed, as Dan listened, he could plainly hear it say, "'Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock.' Now, Beater broke in, if you will be careful as to where you step and follow me closely, we will soon be in the main part of the town. Thus he of the jumping dragoons leaping in advance, his red coat a bright splotch in the moonlight, Dan followed him, wonderingly. End of chapter 22. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.